broken relationships, divided families, divorce, strife, tension, poverty, ruin, traumatized children, hurt feelings. All of these things are consequences of decisions and actions. And all of our decisions and our actions rarely affect only ourselves. We are people that were made to be in community. We are people that were made to be in groups. And so our decisions and our behavior that often make such an impact on those around us. And the way that we are designed is often our worst decisions, our most sinful, our, our most problematic and destructive behavior are the ones that affect others the most. And that behavior wouldn't be so bad if it just harmed ourselves. But we often don't have to, the choice of what our behavior does to other people. For better or worse, our lives affect each other. In Romans 14:7, it says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. All of us were built to be people in community. And we have that example right from uh, God being in the, tri in the Trinity, as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even God himself is in community. And last week, we started our series on the book of Jonah. And the message of the book of Jonah is of great mercy. That is the beauty. That no matter the depth of our sin, no matter the, the depths of our hurts, no matter the depths of our disobedience, as Jonah is, God is a merciful God. And so the book of Jonah is a study of God-sized mercy. And so last week we saw how Jonah was called to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. And instead of rising and going, he rises and flees. He tries to flee to Tarshish. And this week uh, we're in Jonah 1, 4 to 16. So if you have your hard copy Bible or your iBible with you, I'd encourage you to swipe or flip over there. But it will also be on the screen for uh, ease. But Jonah is a study of his willful disobedience. He chose to flee from the Lord. And as we'll see in this passage this morning, this disobedience brings literally stormy consequences. Jonah acts and speaks in a way that is actually, uh, interestingly enough, as you follow along, look and contrast how Jonah acts and speaks versus these sailors who don't know God, the Lord of all creation, and how they act and speak as an interesting thing. So track along in the text with me. I'm reading from uh, the NIV 2011. So Jonah 1, 4 to 16 says this. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, 
What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. May God bless the reading of his word. So right from the beginning of this passage, we see the Lord's might and his power and his control over forces of nature. We see the, the circumstances of nature and what is happening, this great storm. And through the sailors, we see the natural response to such a terrible storm. They become fearful. Proverbs 9.10, as I said earlier, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the starting place to know God is actually fear of the Lord. It's to fear. And fear is a great uh, concept, and it's uh, large to unpack. And I'm going to have a sermon just on fear of the Lord in the future. But for now, fear of the Lord, when we're watching the sailors, we will see how that progresses through their lives and through this experience. So in verses 1, 4, and 5, we see the power of God God is the creator God, but we see that also he has the power to destroy. This great wind that he shows in Hebrew is the word ruach. I'm teaching you guys Hebrew. You guys are all going to be scholars along with our children. But ruach, which means wind. And this word is the exact same word that is used in Genesis 1 when God created all of the, the earth. And it said the spirit, ruach, was hovering over the waters. And so this same spirit, this same wind in the, uh, in the book of Jonah here is blowing a mighty storm that is threatening to destroy this ship. And have you ever thought maybe that there's a storm in your life? And obviously when we think of a storm, we think this is bad. This is something that the enemy is trying to do to me. This is something that those around me are causing but have you ever thought that maybe it's not the work of the enemy? Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, God's trying to get your attention? Jonah had the obvious circumstance that we can see that he was being disobedient. And God sent this storm for a purpose. And throughout the Bible, God uses a wide variety of ways to discipline and confront his children. Discipline is a hard thing to do as a parent. It's the harder decision. It'd be easier just to let your children just be happy all the time. But the hard thing to do is to take them aside and correct them and discipline them. And that's what God does with his children because he loves us. And we see that Jonah's disobedience actually harms those around him. In this case, Jonah's disobedience endangers not only himself, but all of the sailors on this ship. So Jonah ran away from the Lord. He ran away across the sea. 
and this is causing great strife and danger around him. And our own disobedience to God can result from misery and suffering, not only to ourselves, but to those around us, often those who are closest to us. And verse 1, 5, we see, right in verse 5, that all of these sailors have all of a sudden become prayer warriors. Isn't that an amazing thing? Crises have a way of bringing people to faith, or at least to prayer. When, when we see that the circumstances around us are greater than us, then we search out for something that is greater than us to help us. And so in this greatest hours of need, these sailors are reaching out, and it says at first, to gods. They're praying to all the gods that they can think of. They're thinking of all of the gods, and they're seeking to try and help. And they were even willing to suffer financial ruin. The only way to make money with a ship is to sell goods and have transport. And they're throwing overboard all of their goods, everything that they had to trade. And they're willing to suffer financial ruin as long as they can preserve their lives. And when crisis happened, it shows us what our true values are. The sailors could have thought, well, no, this box is too valuable. I got to hold on to that. But instead they went, this box has no value as long as I'm dead. I would rather be alive than have this stuff. And the reason that they're throwing it overboard is because in a ship, I know there's probably some mariners here, but I'm not one of them. I had to look this up. When you throw stuff overboard and a ship becomes lighter, it's easier to steer in a storm. And so these sailors we see throughout this story are actually open to hearing about God. And it's clear that what they are is spiritual because they're, they're seeking any God. They're open. They're willing to hear about a God. And as we'll see a little bit more into it, they're willing to hear about the God. But they're starting with a mishmash of spirituality. They're just seeking anything. They're, they're grasping at straws for what they hear. And many times, people are actually open to hearing about Jesus and more open to hearing about Jesus than we think they are. And sometimes God allows a crisis to happen to people because then they're able to realize, okay, everything in my life isn't hunky-dory. I need something that's greater than me. That's when our values truly get challenged, when a storm comes, when there's crisis. And so what Jesus is calling us to, and everyone in this story as well, is to a relationship. So God allows these people to go through a life-endangering circumstance in order that they would come and have the choice to choose with him. And as we see uh, in all of the lives of all of those who follow Jesus, uh, is that the deeper the relationship that you have, the deeper the obedience goes. And the the book of Jonah, as I said last week, has deep irony in it. And one of, the, one of the examples of irony is that these sailors at this point have zero relationship with Jesus. And yet, they're the ones who are trying to grasp out to God in prayer, while Jonah is sitting silent, sleeping. So the pagans are the ones calling out in prayer. And as it says, uh, that the, pagan, the ship captain actually goes and shakes Jonah and says, wake up, we need all the prayer we can get, so would you seek out and pray to God? But Jonah, in contrast to these people, is just sleeping unconcernedly. God's upset, the sailors are fearful, and yet the prophet of God, the representative of God, is unfazed, unfeeling, and apathetic. They're all trying to seek out God, 
except him. So in his attempt to forget what God has called him to, he's trying to sleep his time away, but God will not be forgotten. And one of the the interesting foibles of human nature is that often when we have done something wrong that we know is wrong, and this starts right at children, we'll avoid the thing that can help us the most. Because we'd rather deny there's an issue, or we'd rather deny that that we actually need help. And uh, I uh, I have a friend who is uh, a youth pastor. I won't say at what church, because whatever, but he was a missionary's kid. And there was uh, one time that he was playing with matches in his backyard, and he was in Bolivia, which was quite hot. It was the hot season, and the grass was all dry. And he's playing with matches and just kind of just letting them go. And then all of a sudden, he starts seeing that the grass is just kind of starting to get black. But he can't see any flame because it's so bright and so hot. And then he starts realizing, yeah, I'm not supposed to be playing with matches. And uh, my parents uh, aren't home, so what do I do here? (laughs) And so uh, he did everything he could to not tell his parents that he lit the backyard on fire. So he got a hose, he got a blanket, he did everything he could to try and put that fire out. But the last thing that he did was ask for help. When the fire got too far out of control, he finally went to his sister and told her, I need help. And yet we're often like that. We go through something and we know what we need. If we've sinned, if we've done something, we know that we need to ask God for forgiveness. But often we have the the opposite and the worst reaction, which is to run away from God. We try to avoid him in prayer. We try to avoid reading our Bible. And uh, this is something that I used to do myself. So if you're sitting there going, oh, I thought it was just me. Well, all of us have a little bit of room for growth. All of us have this natural tendency that we try and hide when we've done something wrong. But yet, the thing that we need most of all is God. And so are you avoiding God? Have you done something? Have you made a mistake that you're trying to cover up, you're trying to avoid? And as I said, this is something that I've made the mistake of doing before. I've tried to run away from God just like Jonah has. I've tried to hide. I've tried to, when I've sinned, I I think, well, I have to beat myself up a little bit. And then maybe tomorrow or the next day, then I'll pray and ask God to forgive me once I feel like I've done enough punishment or whatever. But that's not what God calls us to. What God calls us to is we've done something to repent and he forgives us. That's it. He doesn't say go and do some penance. Go and beat yourself up. Go and beat yourself up a little bit. He says, repent and you'll be forgiven. The beauty of God is that he's quick to forgive and show mercy if we repent. It's that simple and yet that difficult. Because we don't want to be caught. <laughs> we don't want to admit that we've made a mistake. And uh, the, another piece of irony in this story In verse 1-6, it's that the pagan captain, the one who doesn't believe in the Lord Yahweh, is the one who rebukes Jonah for not praying. Jonah was called to go to the city of Nineveh, where the people were sinful and horrible and had killed a ton of people, and call them and rebuke them and call them to repentance. And because of Jonah's disobedience, he's put him in the place to be rebuked by somebody else. So Jonah is standing there in front of a pagan captain who doesn't know, getting corrected. And the, the, the irony of this story also is that Jonah 
doesn't care what, seem to care what happens to the sailors. These sailors who don't know about Jesus, who don't know about Creator Yahweh, are the ones who care about life. They're doing everything that's within their power to pray and seek and to preserve life, but Jonah is unfeeling and apathetic. The interesting parallel in this story between Jonah and Jesus, maybe some of you Bible scholars caught, is that Jesus also is in the middle of a storm with his disciples, and he's, he's sleeping while all of the disciples were sitting there freaking out, panicking. But the difference between Jonah and Jesus is that uh, Jonah was trying to run away from God. His act of sleeping wasn't faith. His act of sleeping was actually avoidance. Whereas Jesus uses this as an opportunity to call his disciples to faith. He said, don't you have faith? He says that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. And then he displays his power over the storm. So Jesus' approach to the storm is, it doesn't matter what storm is happening, we're going to be fine. Because all of their trust is in God. But Jonah instead is trying to avoid God. And so the captain's request for Jonah, he says, go and pray. And instead, Jonah just remains silent. He doesn't do anything. The, the example for us is that a Christian life is a life of prayer. The Bible calls us to pray unceasingly. So a Christian is called to be in prayer constantly. But prayer is even more essential and even more important in times of crises and distress. The times when we need to be in prayer most is when we know that we need God's help. That we are overwhelmed. And Jesus, the night before he faced the cross, even he wanted other people to be praying for him. He asked his disciples repeatedly, he said, can you come and pray with me? I need prayer. Come and pray with me. And yet they kept falling asleep. And Jesus actually rebukes them and said, could you not watch with me one hour? Couldn't you pray with me just one hour? I need prayer. Couldn't you pray with me? And so Jonah is asleep during the time of great danger. He's asleep when, when these uh, people on the boat need him the most. He's asleep when these pagan sailors that don't know Jesus, he could be such an example of faith by being a man who, after God's own heart, like David, could just pray and God might calm the storm. And Jonah likely knew what he needed to do. Jonah knew that he was running away from God. If he repented and apologized, God would forgive him and then God probably would have stopped the storm. But that's not what happens in our story. But for us... When the storm is raging around us, are we asleep to those around us who are perishing? All around us, souls are dying. All around us, there are people who don't know about Jesus. Who maybe they're in crises, maybe they're, or maybe they think that they're on the top of the world. But they need Jesus. And all of us are called to be people of prayer. But are we asleep? Do we even care? Our families are struggling. Are we asleep? Our city is hurting. Are we asleep? We are living in hard times. We must be awake and be praying. This is, and I'm not, I'm not standing up here on a superior soapbox. This is for me as well. I need to be praying. We need to be praying. Because God is a God of amazing power and miracles. And yet he chooses to use us. And 
I don't know if you know this, but prayer is absolutely powerful. Uh, Abraham, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, God talked with Abraham, and he, Abraham went through and talked with God about, well, what if, there's, what if there's this many of people? What if there's this many people? And he whittles it down and down and down. And God says, if you can find just a few people that, that actually worship and pray God, then I won't destroy the city. But God knew that there weren't any righteous people. So he did end up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. But because of Abraham's interceding, Lot and his family were spared. And so we can be interceding on behalf of people. And we can be praying and helping. Seekers need direction. The world needs our prayers. The gospel needs to be preached. The decision to follow Jesus or not is not up to us for anyone else. That's not our responsibility. I, if I am not responsible whether my extended family ever come to know Jesus. That's not up to me. That's between them and God. But what is up to me, am I praying for them? Am I loving them? Am I being Jesus to them? And am I telling them about Jesus? Am I sharing what they need to know so that they can make a decision? Our times demand a church that is full of prayer warriors. It demands a church that is willing to share the gospel with the lost, to help others so that they can come to a decision in Jesus. We must not lie down or fall asleep like Jonah did. We must not run away from this call. The amazing thing is that even though we only have a limited amount of time on this earth, through the Holy Spirit, we can do an amazing amount of work in those few short years that God has given us. Not because we're better than anyone else, but because our God is greater than anything else. Our God is amazing. So Jonah, when he's confronted by this man, should have been ashamed. He should have went, this guy doesn't even know Jesus, and he's the one calling me to prayer. He should have went, my bad, I'll go pray now. Instead, it just, he remains silent. And then we see what happens in 7 and 8, they cast lots. In the ancient world, this was a way of determining God's will. And I don't know if it was names in a hat or uh, sticks or whatever it was, whatever way that they were able to figure it out, uh, that even the Israelites believed this. They thought that God controlled the outcome when they threw lots. And so Jonah had not confessed his sins to the sailors or to God, but the sailors find out anyway through the lot. And when, when it comes on him and they say, well, this guy will have the answers, they confront him and they put him to the question. So can you imagine this guy uh, who's a prophet of God is being put to the question by these pagan sailors saying, what have you done to get us in this mess? What a great witness to the creator God that is. This is the only guy that professes faith in, Jesus, or faith in Yahweh at this point. I'm mixing up my Old and New Testament. The creator Yahweh at this point and yet they're the ones saying, what have you done to offend your God? What have you done to upset the God of the universe. But Numbers 20, 32, 23 says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Jonah at this point had been caught. They came to him and they realized he'd done something. And so his a disobedience had been revealed. And we can all be certain of us that one day, all of our actions, all of our decisions, all of our motives will be laid bare and either in this life or the next. 
And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due, for, uh, due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So if we have sinned, if we have done something, then the choice that we are left with is do we want to choose when that comes out by repenting and by asking for forgiveness, or do we want it to come out because we're caught? either now or when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so once again, the, the example of these sailors in nine is that fear of the Lord actually leads to obedience. So Jonah claims to fear the Lord. He says, I, am, I fear the Lord, but his actions actually speak louder than his words do. So ironically, now Jonah admits to being a Hebrew and a follower of God. He admits that God created the heavens and the sea. But what is Jonah trying to do right now? Remember, he's trying to go from Joppa to Tarshish across the sea that God created. Can you think of the irony behind that? He's like, God created the heavens and the sea and the land, and I'm trying to run across in a little wooden raft. So Jonah... <laughs> He should have laughed at his, own, at his own attempt to even try and run away from God. But Jonah's theology, his belief in God, and his actions weren't lining up. He said, I believe God created the sea, but I'm acting as if he didn't and like I can run away. Because he knew the right things to do and the right things to say, but he just really didn't want to do it. And this, the reaction of the sailors, now that he confesses, okay, the God that I have ticked off, that's in the Hebrew, the God that I've ticked off created everything. And so now this, the sailors, what started out as a general fear about the, the storm, it says now they're terrified in the NIV. Or they, they go from fear, a general fear, to a great fear. They said, not only is this just a small G-God where there's 20 of them, you're saying this is one God who created everything, and this is the one that you chose to disobey? Now they're really afraid. And so this disobedient uh, servant has caused this storm to come and threaten all of their lives. And so this storm God sent, because he cares so much about Jonah that he's trying to bring him to reconciliation. He's trying to say, I know you're trying to run away, but I don't want to let you go. So this storm itself is a, is a test and a testimony to God's mercy and his love. And sometimes in order to rebuild a relationship, we may need to have a hard conversation. We need to have maybe have correction, which is never easy to hear, whatever side you're on. But Proverbs says the, the, kiss, the, the hurts of a friend are sweeter than the kisses of an enemy. So it means rather than have someone say something nice to you that doesn't mean it, a true friend is one who's willing to say, I have these concerns. Let's talk about this. And that is so hard to do. But it is so loving. Jesus did this to his disciples. His harshest, his harshest rebuke ever was to Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Talk about that, his closest, his closest of his disciples. He said, right now, you are not acting as a follower of me. You are acting as a tool of the enemy. How would that feel? I'm sure that wasn't a nice thing to say. You know the, the saying from a kid, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? 
I'm glad Jesus didn't listen to that because there's a lot of not nice things he said. They weren't nice, but they were loving. And that's, that's the balance there that sometimes the hardest thing to do is to correct because we love and we care. But Jonah, now that he's confronted by the sailors, and they say, okay, what have you done? They had to pry out a confession of guilt, just as before they pried out a confession of faith. He said, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, I follow God. And then they say, what have you done? And he finally confesses his sin. So Jonah now is standing and he realizes, they're asking, what do we do? You, you're the one who, who uh, ticked off God. You're the one who knows about this God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. What do we do? What, how can we make this better? And Jonah now is met with an ironic decision. Does he go down with the ship as a way to say, well, I, I'm just going to follow this, I'm just going to follow my uh, disobedience right through? Or do I, do I sacrifice myself? Now, back then, there weren't escape rafts. There, it's not like uh, there were escape boats that they had. So Jonah just says, throw me overboard. Jonah finally makes a decision that he says, instead of letting all the sailors die, he'll just die. He'll just jump overboard. And so the choice and the, the question that God reduced this to was, will your life or death save the lives of others, or will it be an ordinary death at sea with pagan sailors? Either way, his death was imminent. And for all of us here this morning, our death is imminent. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Your death in this life will come one day or another. But how will you live your life in between now and that day? Will your life be used to save the lives of others? Or will it just be used for yourself? That was the decision that Jonah was given, and that's the same decision that we are left with. And Jonah, Jonah's name actually means dove. And uh, doves in the Old Testament had quite a bit of significance because uh, they were used uh, on the ark to show that the land was dry. And they also uh, have the meaning of uh, harmless. So doves were harmless. And they were used in Old Testament sacrifice. If you couldn't afford uh, a sheep or a goat, you could use a bird. And one of the birds that you could use was a dove. And his father's name actually means my truth. So Jonah's name actually means uh, harmless son of truth. So he was harmless and he was supposed to always tell the truth. But instead, he's put the, the sailors in great harm, and he's hidden the truth for as long as he possibly could. And so the dove, uh, the dove that was meant to be harmless to these people is putting them in great danger. And so now he's given the choice of sacrifice yourself or go down with a ship. And this is actually this choice between life and death or possible death uh, and for and. Uh, the death of other people is actually so close to his call to go to Nineveh. When he had to go to this, this city that could have destroyed him, that could have killed him, he had to choose between the value of his life and the, the possible death by going and the chance of saving all of their lives. And for this time, Jonah actually makes the right decision. He said, I am willing to die for the sake of these sailors. So what's the difference now between this and the situation of Nineveh. Now, I think the difference for Jonah is that he's had to look these sailors in the face. He's had to see their fear at their death. He's had to get to know them and see them and 
be alongside these people that were so far from God. So rather than just dismissing them and say, I don't care about them, whatever, they should just, they should just get destroyed because they're evil. He's had to look at them and see that they're a human being that's been made in the image of God, just like he has, and said their life has value too. So once he's gotten to know these people, he said, I, I'm willing to trade my life if it might mean their lives are saved. So for us, if, are we in relationship? Do we know others? Are we rubbing up shoulders against those who are so far from God? Or do we just easily dismiss the others? Maybe it's the others who are, who are creating laws that seem like they're so against us. Or is it the others that are just rude or racist or anything? Whatever it is, are we just willing to just dismiss their lives? Or are we actually able to look them in the face and, and realize they need Jesus? So Jonah finally has compassion on these innocent sailors. And so finally, out of a heroism born out of this desperate situation, he says, throw me overboard. Cast me over the side. And so Jonah, though, <laughs> it's funny because it's easy to judge and to look back at somebody's life when it's, when it's in two-dimensional black and white. But I think Jonah had a different third option. And I think I already said it, but he could have just repented. But instead, he says, just throw me overboard. I'm done. I'm done trying to run away from God. I'm done trying to ask for forgiveness. I don't want to try. Just, just get rid of me. I'd rather just die and be done. And so he knows that God won't punish the sailors as long as he's getting rid of. He trusts in God's mercy. So he says, throw me overboard. And the sailors, even after they're told that, even though they have this man who's confessedly put them in danger and in harm's way, they show great moral character. And they do their best through this raging storm to do their best to row to safety. They're not willing to throw him overboard, as he says. They try and row and row and do their best to get there until they finally realize it's against, it's against everything. Because when they actually try and row, God makes the storm worse. He's, he's showing them, no, no, there's no easy way out of this. You've got you to gotta do what I've called you to do. And so, uh, after declaring to the Lord, not their gods, no. In the first time that they pray, they're praying to the gods. But this time, they declare to the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They say, uh, don't hold us guilty for this man's death. Don't hold this against us. It's what he's called us to do. It's what he said. Don't hold this against us. And for them, for the, the small g gods that they served, you could get punished just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. They, had, they served wicked, evil gods. And instead, the true God is the God of the creator and the universe, and he is so merciful. So in verse 14, I just want to reread really quickly. They say, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Now, Jonah wasn't innocent. And they knew that. But they knew that he was innocent as far as they did. They didn't think that he had done anything wrong to them. They should have been mad. They should have been angry. Why did you get us into this? But instead, they said, hold us, hold us guiltless, Lord, please. And so in crisis, the world is so open to hearing about Jesus. When someone has had something, that something has happened, that's just rocked their world, they just need someone to come alongside and tell them there's hope. 
there is great hope. Maybe your situation won't change, but there's the God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and wants to help you. And in verses 15 to 16, the sailors echo the language of Psalm 115 and 135, and their confession is in the absolute sovereignty of God. They say, God, you've created everything. So these sailors have moved from general fear of the universe to great fear of this God who sent this storm, now to the, the finality of fear, which is reverence and awe. And so they, they give sacrifices to the Lord, and they thank him for his mercy. They thank him. And so they revere the Lord and for his power with a public act of obedience and worship to God. Now, did Jonah preach to these people? Did Jonah give a good testimony, a good witness to these people of what a follower of Yahweh should be like? Nope. He didn't. And yet, God in his mercy redeemed this terrible situation to save the souls of these sailors. God's power is so great to save people. Often we sit and we think, well, I have to be perfect. My, I have to have everything figured out in my life. I have to have all my ducks in a row. I have to have my whole Bible memorized. I have to have this perfect plan of how you talk to people about Jesus before I can start telling other people to believe in Jesus, before I can start sharing about Jesus with other people. But if the example of Jonah is anything, please don't follow it because that's complete willful disobedience. But if it's anything, it's that God's greater than our weaknesses. And God can use us, even in our worst situations, to share about him. Now, the caution here is that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse to disobedience. It's not an excuse to act willfully disobedient. But God made Jonah an effective prophet, even when he was running away from him. He brought people to faith in God. And this shows this wasn't Jonah's goodness. This was God's goodness. And so if God can use Jonah, I'm sure he can use each one of us here this morning. And so to bring it back to us in the 21st century, are your actions positively or negatively affecting those around you? Because we live in community, these things are important. And such things as personal sins or personal disobedience are things that have great negative impact. But also, if we are a follower of Jesus and we love him and we are people of patience and joy and kindness, then we can have such a great positive impact on those around us. And this sermon isn't about morality. It isn't about doing the right things, doing the wrong things. Because, uh, because just doing the right things isn't what Jesus calls us to. He, said, he calls us to a relationship. And because of God's mercy, we can do the right things. And so the beginning is mercy. The beginning is forgiveness. Doing the right things never will earn a right standing with God. The right standing that we can have with God is through the powerful, amazing work of Jesus on the cross. And his, his loving mercy to us that says, I forgive you and I love you even though you killed me. Even though you hurt me. Even though you willfully chose to sin, I love you and I forgive you if you but ask. And so that beginning place is where obedience can come in. Just like these sailors, that beginning of fear and recognizing this Lord, this creator God that is in control of the entire universe, 
loves me enough that he maybe will send a storm, that he'll maybe send hard circumstances, that he'll maybe allow me to go through the valley of the shadow of death so that I can realize he is there with me, that he loves me, that he cares for me, and then we can follow him in obedience because of that love, because of that mercy. And so obedience grows as we choose to follow him and accept his love. And so the love and mercy that God gives us isn't a result of our obedience. It's a prerequisite for it. It's the starting place. So obedience is the result rather than the prerequisite. So as, uh, as Kirsten and her team comes forward and helps us, uh, helps us close in worship this morning, I just have three quick examples of ways that we can act on this. And the first is just to, relax, to reflect, or the first two rather, are to reflect uh, just on these questions. Are you living a life, a selfish life, in a world of need? And I'm not just talking about stuff. Stuff is a small thing. But selfish with your time. Selfish with your prayer. There's a world out there that needs you to pray for them, to love them, to come alongside them. And this morning, do you need to respond to God's offer of a second chance? Or a third? Or a fourth? Or a hundredth? As I said last week. And lastly, after this, is to pray for our city and for the lost this week. Pray for those who need to hear about Jesus. Pray for them by name and be willing to be used by God wherever you are. So uh, as Kerrison starts uh, leading in worship, just allow me to pray for us. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the, the example of Jonah that we could have that uh, isn't, isn't perfect, but that the story of Jonah is about your mercy your God-sized mercy in our lives, Jesus. We aren't good enough, we aren't strong enough, we aren't smart enough to do what you have called us to do, and that is to seek and save the lost, to make disciples in all nations, Jesus. And yet, we feel like, I need to be good enough, I need to do this, I need to whatever we need. What we actually need is you. We need you to move powerfully, to love powerfully in us and through us. And so I pray that all of us would be willing to be used this week by you. May we be a church. May we be a people. May we, uh, whether it's a first-time guest or somebody who doesn't even know you yet, Jesus. May we be prayer warriors who have faith of you and you alone, Jesus. So I thank you for what you are going to do. I come with great hope, great expectation for the work you are going to do in and through this church this week. And I'm excited to hear the testimonies of you moving powerfully. So let us now stand and respond to you in worship and in praise. Amen.